Hi, Linny. Hi, Nancy. Welcome to episode 48 of the Front Porch Book Club. The Front Porch Book Club is a podcast that meets twice a month. We like to dig deep into the relationship between characters and the worlds they live in. Grab your book and iced tea and join us on the Front Porch. Today, we interview Marlena Castillo about Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. I love this interview. Marlena is a colleague of yours. Yeah, I asked her to join us because she understands the struggles of being a woman of color, especially in the work world, of which our heroine finds herself during much (laughs) of the book. Her experience is unusual in that she is Mexican and white. But she wasn't raised knowing her Hispanic side so much. She was raised in a Black family after her mother remarried. I asked her because we have shared a lot of stories over the years and perceptions and conversations. And I thought she would be a good person to bounce some of our thoughts on and give us some insight into Amira and the white people who she's interacting with. So... I'm excited to hear what she has to say. Marlena is a licensed social worker. She works in mental health as a behavioral consultant and mobile therapist. She earned her master's degree of social work at Millersville University. She loves reading, cooking, and is a dog mom to three rescues. What's not to love? Come on. (laughs) All right. Well, let's get to it then, Nance. All right. Welcome, Marlena, to the front porch. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we're so happy to have you with us. I hand-selected you (laughs) (laughs) because of our past discussions on a variety of different issues. Most are probably in this book. (laughs) Today, we're talking about Kylie Reed's Such a Fun Age. First, interested in your thoughts about the polo shirt. (laughs) So the polo shirt, that was a weird one for me because Alex has very weird intentions at times and it takes a while to see what those intentions are. And I do believe that that was one of her less intent intentions. I think that did start off innocently enough. Like, hey, you might get messy why don't you wear this? And then it just, it turned into an expectation. It took time to grow into like a thing. What about her girlfriends? Whose girlfriends? Alexis. You ladies had brought up the term Uncle Tom that was used in the book. Yeah. I think a lot of classism plays into that because There's this thing, and I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the term. It's called masking. And a lot of people of color do this. We act a certain way around certain people. And I think the Uncle Tom comes into play when you go home from work from your white co-workers and you unmask. Now, it turns into Uncle Tom when you go home and you're the same person. So that's where that classism comes in because her friends, black friends, have achieved and reached this level of class to where they no longer have to do that masking and that code switching. So the term does, it kind of fits for them, I think. They they are just of the utmost high society at this point and they do not have to 
prove themselves to their particular groups that are normally kept very separate. I'm thinking especially of the principal. You think that she is more apt to be who she really is? She is unmasked? So with code switching, if you were to see me outside of work, because we work in a very professional setting, who I am at home is very separate from who I am at work. These women come home and they are the same person that they are at work. They have achieved this level of class. They're very fancy ladies and that's at their job and at home. So there's no need to drop that mask. They are who they are. And so they're being authentically who they are. By contrast, Amira is definitely a completely different person with her girlfriends than she is when she's in Alexa's house. Different language, different style, different music. What was Alex getting out of it? Was this really for Amira's benefit, which it was not because she clearly stated she wanted to not have this broadcasted. She was working to move past it. Alex, who knows better than her, apparently, went on her behalf, not really her behalf, it was more for her benefit, and spoke on an issue that was a non-issue to her. Let's get to that particular issue with the videotaping of the security guard that saw Amira in the posh grocery store. What struck you about Amira's reaction to that? Like, I don't want the tape. I'm not doing anything with it. Nobody do anything with it. Amira was working on herself throughout the book. She definitely had goals. They were not super detailed goals, but she had goals for herself. And this was just something that she wanted to move past. I definitely think it affected her more than was let on in the book. But that's what we do with trauma. We we get over it in our own ways. And I think that's what she was doing with it. She wanted to move past it as quickly as possible and not let this be her defining moment, what made her. And unfortunately, neither her boss nor her boyfriend would let it go. They kept (laughs) bringing it up to her and she kept trying to shut them down, but they would not be shut down. Did you guys catch in the book, Kelly and Amira have a conversation. It seems like maybe it's going to be the final conversation about this tape. And Amira says, look, I just, I cannot talk about this anymore. I've made my decision. And I think she maybe even says like, we can't be together if you're going to keep bringing this up. And he says, oh, okay. I I didn't understand. And then three sentences later, he talks about it again. (laughs) He just cannot let it go. (laughs) That's another white savior moment. I think I know what is best for you. Yes, definitely. Both Kelly and Alex thought they knew what was best for... Actually, everyone in the book seemed to think that they knew what was better for Amira than Amira knew for herself, didn't they? (laughs) That was a theme. Yeah, her girlfriends were that way too. Everybody wanted to help her in some ways and wanted her to be successful 
she she wasn't sure what that meant except for she needed health insurance and she just needed more time to simmer i think and try to figure out what her passions were and where she wanted to go who she wanted to be where she wanted to work and people around her really weren't comfortable with her pace of figuring that out for herself before we started recording, Marlena, you mentioned that you had to put the book down a couple of times. So tell us your overall reaction to the book and that experience for you. Some of the actions of the characters, Alex and Kelly, taking someone's choices away, trying to form their thoughts on what they should be doing. It's really taking away that autonomy of her. It made me mad, not going to lie. made me very mad. And yet, Amira herself never really worked up ahead of steam. Or do you think she did and it was just something that she suppressed? Yeah, like she didn't really get that mad. I mean, she broke up with him. But then the end, though, it's like this girl was playing the very long game because the way she broke up, the way she quit, just beautiful. She she really saw it through to the end and she made herself known at the end. So I think she was playing the long game. I think we do that. It builds, we gloss over things, it builds, we gloss over it. And then when we hit our breaking point, oh boy, did she. <laughs> She did. We were all cheering her on, too. <laughs> she went out very big. <laughs> yeah. yeah she, she was a shooting star, all right. <laughs> yeah, that also might be something that a lot of us as women do. Like, we kind of just want to not make waves, and we just want to roll along. But finally, when push comes to shove, it's like, okay, now I'm taking action. I'm taking everybody out with me on the way, too. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> That was a great part of the book, actually. <laughs> now, I'm interested in backtracking here a little bit to Kelly. He's dating a lot of black girls his whole life, and he surrounds himself with mostly his friends being African-American, too. He's definitely immersed, it seems like, in the culture, but he seems like he's preferring them as girlfriend and as friends as well. He's definitely seeking some type of acceptance. And I, and I don't really know. Is, is he trying to prove it to himself or is he trying to prove it to other people? Because I think that was another big deal in the book throughout a lot of the main characters. They were very caught up on not what they thought about themselves, but what other people thought about them. And with Kelly, well, both of them, actually, it started in high school. What are other people's perceptions of me and how do I make myself look good? Yeah, I thought one of the most telling comments that Kelly makes in the book is that he just wanted to be cool too. He was like, the coolest kids in our high school were the black kids. Of course I wanted to be their friends. Everybody wanted to be their friends. <laughs> they were popular. They were athletes. Yeah, exactly. What is the deal with Kelly only dating black girls and then interacting with them in the same way? Amira runs into him a couple years later, and he's using the same terminology, like calling her Miss. It started at that young age, 
and just seeking acceptance. And now it's taken over. It's his personality now. He's put in too much time to give up now and to backtrack. He's going to see this through to the end to, again, prove I'm not like that. This is the real me. What about Kelly got under your skin? I know you ladies had touched on your last podcast. Nance, I think you used the word delusional. (laughs) I don't know if it's so much delusion as it is denial. These two were in such denial of their intentions, their actions, the consequences of their actions, and just constantly seeking that validation from someone else's perspective. Yeah. I went back and forth, and maybe you guys caught onto this earlier than I did. But at first I thought he seems like a really great guy. And it's like the deeper and deeper and deeper you got into him and the more you knew about him, suddenly the facade started chipping off a little bit. And you're like, wait, what's going on with that? And why would he say that to her? But then he seemed he would seem like a really nice guy again. And it was confusing. So I definitely understood why Amira stayed with him. I love how the author even gives us some of Amira's internal thoughts about Kelly and, well, maybe I should break up with him. No, I'll stay with him because he was a confusing character in a lot of ways. You really weren't sure where he was coming from. It definitely took a while to see because I did go with the back and forth. She was she was so happy. It was going well. It was the first grown-up relationship that they had. I know she had mentioned that in the book. She was just so proud of how easygoing it was. It took a while. A lot of questioning and back and forth what his true intentions were. What do you think led up to the final breakup then? I think the initial thought that he had released it was her breaking point. But then immediately finding out that it was Alex... And just reflecting back on her time spent with both. And again, what were their actual intentions for her? I think she just had enough. There were some good qualities, I think, in him. And I think he was a good boyfriend. There was a lot of back and forth between Alex and Kelly. And I I remember Amira stating, she's like, it's like you two are still obsessed in dating. This all happened in high school. They were trying to prove who's the most trustworthy. They were they were in a serious fight for her affection and attention and dedication. And so I think each of them planted seeds against the other. And then, like I said, by the end of the book, she just had enough. She was tired of the back and forth. And we were done here. We're done. Yeah, like maybe even one on their own could have been tolerable. But to be a part of that triangle, she is like, you know, I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) You two can just continue to figure that out between the two of you. I don't have to be a part of that. (laughs) Leave me out of this. Thank you very much. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) We thought one of the really funny things about such a fun age was that it's such a satire of people who think they're woke. 
Did you find that satire funny? Was there any aspect of that that you found either most hilarious or most true? There is definitely such thing as too woke. And, okay. and that did come through in a... Especially if it's white people trying, right? It is. Like, how are you going to not let something go and let something bother you so much when it's really not affecting you, is it? And I think that's the what white people in general should should step back and ask themselves, because that's another topic you ladies had brought up. Well, what, what do I do? I'm white and I want to show support. But when you're more bothered by something and you're making the decisions for another person, that's when it's time to take that step back. When there was a lot of decision making going on for Amira in this book. Yeah. That she did not consent to. Right. She's a good nanny. Briar is a cool little kid. Definitely her own little person. Amira seems like she understands her better than her own mom. Any thoughts on while the author put this little child with these unique needs in the book? Well, because she is sweet and innocent. She's only three. She's a blank slate. These are very informative years. I think Amira had every right to be concerned because she she saw the life that Alex was living. What concerned Alex? Her image. And she even said towards the end of the book, that's what she wondered about. Is Briar going to be able to make her own decisions or is she going to just live that lifestyle and pay someone else to live her life and make her decisions for her. Yeah. And the thing that was so great about Briar, she was a very unusual little girl. She didn't have a lot of the characteristics of her peer group. So she didn't necessarily fit in with her group. But Amira celebrated that about her. That relationship, I thought, was so beautiful Amira's absolute love for her and celebration of her. And I wondered if in some ways, Amira just would have loved to have people celebrating her, even though she was not where her friends were. You just need someone in your life to love you and say, you're a wonderful person. (laughs) And that's what Amira did for Briar. She accepted her She showed interest in her first and foremost, and she encouraged her in a way that, yes, Amira's friends should have been doing for her, but she did. She took on a very serious motherly role for her. She wanted her to be her own person and embrace all of her little personality quirks and not be so concerned with image and fitting in and doing what she should be doing. Yeah, I thought that was a beautiful relationship. Yeah, it was probably the most healthy relationship (laughs) compared to a lot of the other ones. Amira tried to have healthy relationships with dysfunctional people that were around her. She tried to keep the work thing, work and professional. Alix tried not to. She tried to break into those boundaries she was trying to establish and they weren't respected there. We wanted to talk a little bit about the age part of the book. You're young, you're out of college. She's trying to figure stuff out. It's taken her a while to get her legs. 
Nancy and I both remembered being young and figuring things out and getting the first job and going through those early years of who am I, how do I fit into the world of work? I really remember that time. And I saw a lot of the same challenges that she had that I had starting out. Your 20s is definitely, it can be very fun. It can be very educational. It can be very rough. That is, that's when you're you're growing and finding out who you are and what you want to do and what you want to be. That's when you're making your contacts. So I, you know, her friends just so happened to figure out a little bit faster, but she, like I said, she had her goals. She had things that she wanted to accomplish. I don't think she was doing bad by any means being a 25 year old. I think she felt the pressure of the health insurance, of course, but she seemed content enough in her life and what she had and seemed happy to some extent with that. What did we not ask you or an aspect of the book that you want to talk about? I think what really set me off was the obsessiveness. It turned so quick for Alex. We were talking about the boundary setting and the boundary crossing. This honeymoon infatuation phase should have been happened. If you're going to hire somebody and let somebody into your house and home and take care of your child, We should have already had this phase to get to know you and what do you like? What are your interests? What are your goals? This should have happened a long time ago. And again, I think you ladies touched on this on on your prior episode. Nobody was concerned with her until this incident. And then everyone clamored, what can I get out of this? Very much so Alex. That was when her obsession began with her. That's when she really crossed those boundaries and tried to integrate herself into her life in a way that she shouldn't have. So where would we be if this incident never happened? Obviously we wouldn't have a fantastic book because that, you know, that was the point of the whole book, but how would this have played out if she kept her job, everything stayed quiet? Would anybody have went through this? No, because I think she would have stayed largely invisible to Alex, who would have just continued to know her as the person who comes in and does something with Briar, who really knows what, but takes Briar off her hands. Kelly would never have noticed her. He was at the bougie grocery store. He would have gotten his groceries and been on his way. I agree. That inciting incident is so explosive Because suddenly people are seeing Amira as a means to an end. She now is symbolizing or standing for something that they are so anxious to stand for too, that they are trampling over her in order to be seen like somehow as some righteous people or something. It's incredible. Very very offensive. And, And again, with the white savior complex, to go against someone's wishes I know better than you about your experience is right. <laughs> is just absolutely infuriating. And again, it wasn't even for Amira's benefit. Alex panicked and needed to pull something out of her behind because she was late on her book deal. 
And her husband had said something on air that had resulted in a lot of people believing he was a racist too. So for her, killed a lot of birds with the one stone of basically offering up Amira as the symbol that she was this wonderful person. Sacrificial lamb. There you go. (laughs) When you have to work that hard to prove to yourself and the people around you that you're not racist, I'm going to make a stretch and say you might be a little bit racist. (laughs) Because I think part of that is you are not seeing that person as an individual. You are seeing that person as a race The definition of racist, nobody is seeing Amira as a person. They seem to really be interacting with her as her race, but that they are somehow helping to support her or love her because of her race. It's messed up. They're more offended than she was, and they will just not let this go. Are you going to recommend this book to anybody? And who do you think would enjoy the book the most? I think it would depend on the person's interpretation of the book, if it would benefit them or not. It can be a really just a good book. It can be an eye-opening book. It can be a book that can lead you to self-reflection if you are a white person. Like, hmm, what what am I doing? How how am I coming off? If you are a person of color, it could lead you to wanting to stand up for yourself a little bit more and speak out about microaggressions. Or, you know, this was a lot more than a microaggression, but it would be good for anyone. But it depends on what they're going to take away from it. Do you think it would be possible to read this book without understanding the satire that Kylie Reed has definitely threaded through the whole thing? If you're a person that thinks like Kelly or Alex, I think it would gloss right over them. Yeah, I think you're right. I think some of that satire might go over the head of some people. The ones that are in denial of their actions. Yes, I do. Mm -hmm. They might see Alex and... Kelly as like really great people. They just wanted what was best for her. Right. What's wrong with that? Yeah. I appreciate your stopping by our front porch and opening up the dialogue for us to talk about these things. Meet my sister. It's so nice to meet you, Marlena. It is nice to meet you. And I'm so glad you had me on the show because I did. I had a lot to say about this book. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you would. Bye-bye. Well, Lenny, I love that interview with Marlena. I loved her insights. I do think that race is really hard to talk about in the United States. I think as a white person, I find race hard to talk about. So I really appreciated Marlena being with us and being very open about her thoughts about this book and sharing with us. I know I did too. I really enjoy all my conversations with her and I'm thinking we'll probably continue to talk about Alex (laughs) (laughs) and Kelly. (laughs) 
I hope that I find other people to talk to about this book because I think there's a lot there. And a half hour, I think we could have gone an hour and a half on this and gotten in some deeper issues and discussions than we, we were able to do in a half hour. Yeah, that's a really good point. I am definitely going to look for people who have read this book too and have some more conversations. I'm really interested in hearing what other people thought about the book and the characters. They're very complex characters. Oh yeah, I loved it. Okay, well, next month on our front porch, we're going to be talking about a man called Uva. And if that doesn't sound familiar, it's Tom Hanks's new movie was made out of this book. Yeah. But the book was written by Frederick Bachman. I have already read this book. I did really enjoy this book, and I'm interested in talking to you about it. Great. And the Tom Hanks movie is called A Man Called Otto. Yeah, because who who knows Uva? Like, <laughs> come on. Thanks for listening. Our website is frontporchbookclub.com. Our episodes come out twice a month on the first and third Wednesdays of every month. All right, Lenny. See you next time. Thanks, Nance. Take care. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs>